podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at either 8.30 or 11 o'clock a.m. at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. And now, may you be blessed as we give our attention to the reading of God's Word. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, pour out upon us wisdom and understanding that by being taught by you in Holy Scripture, our hearts and minds might be open to receive all that leads to life and holiness. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our scripture reading today comes from James chapter 1. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is unsettled as a wave in the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unsettled in everything they do. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Like an ant on a stick, both ends of which are burning, I go to and fro without knowing what to do, and in great despair. Like the inescapable shadow that follows me, the dead weight of sin haunts me. Graciously look upon me, for thy love is my refuge. Lord, help our souls to be still this morning and to hear from you. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. For you, O God, are the rock and our redeemer. It's in the name of Jesus that we offer this prayer, and all who agreed with it said, Amen. Paul said in his letter to Rome, to the church at Rome, he said, I know, I I want to do what is right, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Anybody relate to the super apostle Paul here, or is it just me? Paul asks later on, um, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? I don't know about you, but I've had a lot of times in my life where this has been kind of my ongoing cry. Why can't I break this pattern? Why can't I stop choosing poorly? Anybody else with me or just pastor confession time? Of course, Paul later gives us the answer. He says... Thank God the answer is Jesus. Woohoo! Jesus, his sacrifice on Good Friday, the victory that comes on Easter Sunday, this that comes to each and every person who chooses to say yes to him, this is the kingdom message. 
Great, Jim, that's fantastic, but what does that mean? Um, I'm still not there yet. I'm still like that first part of Paul. There's got to be something else, isn't there? Well, the only answer I can give you is typical pastor talk, yes and no. Yes, because it is Jesus. It is Jesus who offers the, the healing from our deepest wounds. It is Jesus who does the work. But I have noticed in my life that for most people, this healing doesn't happen like that. It doesn't happen at a snap. There are a few people who have tell stories of just life-changing moment with God. Immediately, boom, something changed differently. But for the most of us, we're more like the patriarchs and the saints of old who have to go on a journey. We have to travel for a while. We're invited to this this freedom pathway, a a journey to health and to restoration. We're invited to breakthrough that isn't about behavior change, but about an offering of healing to our deepest places of hurt, Those, those places of wounds. Paul said, there is therefore, I love that, therefore, now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. And guess what? You belong to Christ. Later he would say you are a new creature. You know, for Paul, for the, for the early church, there's an identity change this healing brings along. You're grafted in and you're adopted as a son or daughter of the living God. And being his kid is a reality that changes everything when we own it. So to start with these wounds, we have to start with the identity that who God says we are. You are a child of the living God. And then from there, we get to walk this beautiful journey, this work of healing at our core, the healing of our wounds. If we try and change it on our own, we're going to be like, that was awful. Hi, hi God, it's Jim, me again. Messed up again. And we'll be frustrated beyond words. Again, anybody tracking with me on that? So how is it done? Well, we're taking time during this Lenten season to uncover seven soul wounds that show themselves in seven characteristics uh, where, where we need to see healing. Where, where we're, there are salves that we can apply to prepare us for this great breakthrough, this, this, this thing that this healing God longs to do. And don't miss it. God longs for you and I to be healed, to be whole, to, to, to have a breakthrough. Not just in eternity that's yet to come when we sit on our clouds and strum and, and that kind of thing, which we don't really think that's going to happen anyway. But in a healing that occurs now. So what are these wounds? Well, this morning we're going to look at a wound that's so unbelievably pervasive that even speaking about it sounds a little bit silly. Um, Let me share by telling a story to get us ready for that, okay? Uh, A couple years ago, a friend of mine, um, we're we're talking, and he asked me, he said, Jim, have you read the book Art of Mindfulness? Now, I heard him, and I went, I kind of furrowed my brow, um, but because we were in a group in a public setting, I didn't want to look dumb. I do that enough on my own. So I let him just continue to talk. He talked and he talked, and the more he talked about this book, the more I was in the weeds. I was completely lost. I had no clue what this guy was talking about. Finally, I scraped up enough courage and I said, the art of what? You see, he had said mindfulness, and he meant being aware, being present. I heard mindfulness. 
As in, my mind is so crammed with information that I'm about to pop. I'm full up. Being mindful and being mindful are two very different things. True? Okay. Um, In our culture, we've elevated mindfulness, and we call that multitasking. Oh, there is the chuckles. Now we're waking up. We have books on how to do this better. We have seminars that encourage us the techniques to be more productive. We've got apps. We've got the whole thing. And in the process of being able to do all of this, we are, as a society, working ourselves into a health crisis of epic proportions. Don't believe me? According to Dr. Gary Winch, who wrote Emotional First Aid, multitasking creates several alarming problems. Here they come, ready or not. Brain harm a literal reduction in the gray matter of our brains. Memory reduction. An increased distractibility. Oh, look, something shiny. An increase of your chances of walking into oncoming traffic. Lower grades and test scores for students. Multitasking can lead to physical accidents, like falling off of a chancel stage and tearing up your ankle. Multitasking can harm relationships. Multitasking can increase stress, depression, and social anxiety. And finally, it ultimately makes you less productive and less efficient. Dr. Gary Winch, Emotional First Aid. This is our society. This is what we cherish. It's what we hold as a high ideal. But the truth is, it is a wound to our souls that is slowly and effectively killing us. According to Emily P. Freeman, who's one of my favorite weekly podcast listens and a great author, the average American makes 35,000 decisions every day. Most of them are automatic. We just go, boom. Kind of like when we say the Apostles' Creed and we don't pay attention and we just go on. (laughs) But what happens when we get stuck, when we become paralyzed with options, when we are just too tired to do the next right thing? Well, there's a naming for this wound that it's important. And and I hope you'll stick with me on this. See, the wound that we are seeking healing from is, is this wound that is very simply called confusion. A confusion is this, a disorientation of our mind, emotion, or heart. It can appear in many different forms, as a fog or as a cloud, I'm stuck. But it can also be a rapid and rabid back and forth inability to move. Inability to go forward. In the Greek world, this wound is often called double-mindedness. It's two selves. It's two souls that are split and unable to find balance or rhythm. Now, this, this wound is an internal conflict of our... It's the inability to be present, the inability to just be. It's an, it's an inability to know what to do, where to go. Because there's just too much circling around. But it can also be a wound that shows up as false burden bearing. Things that look like empathy where I'm caring for somebody, but really what I'm doing is I'm taking on their stuff and not giving them the ability to be responsible. 
I'm owning their junk. You don't have to show your hands, but I wonder how many of us can relate to this wound. Now, compare that idea of confusion with Jesus. It's the season of Lent, 40-day period, time to slow down, to prepare, to remember, to celebrate the work of Jesus at Calvary in the Garden Tomb. Jesus knew what was coming, and Scripture tells us very clearly that he resolutely set his face like a flint towards Jerusalem. He had more distractions in a given day than I could ever even begin to imagine, and he didn't have an iPhone. And yet, he resolutely set his face to go forward. Confusion produces something inside of us. This wound creates this character, this trait, this practice that needs um, not its very uh, general descriptor. It needs a historical definition. So I'm going to use the ancient word first, okay? Because I wanted to make sure it redefines. The, 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 the normal, the contemporary word, you will all get like that. The word we start with is acedia. It is the action of a lack of care. It is a spiritual malady expressed in dejection or a feeling of oppressiveness and disgust. Acedia is powerful, and it, is, it absolutely will threaten your identity as a child of the Father. It dismisses the commitment of one's life in God, and this vice that stems from this wound of confusion will put your entire walk with God at stake. And no, I am not overselling it. I am not just doing pastor talk. Acedia, has anybody heard that word? Well, you came early, so you have to know it. Acedia is more often known in our contemporary culture as sloth. Sloth, for most of us, is lazy. It's a couch potato. It's Netflix and taking a nap on Sunday afternoon and those kind of things. No, no, no. Sloth is not a, a, a lack of exterior movement. Sloth, according to Thomas Aquinas, is a sadness or a sorrow for your own spiritual good. It's an interior apathy that says, eh, I'm just comfortable in my own indifference. Sloth is the neglect of the care of your soul. Sloth is a lack of love, both in the receiving and the giving. Jim, you're being way extreme this morning, aren't you? Well, let me give you a couple of measures of sloth, and we'll ask that question again. Let me ask you this. Number one. Do you have balance in your life, in your work, with your family, with your leisure? What about in your prayer? Um, we, we study for school and work and a hundred of other things that we are invested or interested in. Do you study for the sake of your soul and your relationship with the Father? Is your soul cared for? Is your, is your body, since it is called a temple of the Holy Spirit after all, is it cared for? What about simple things like eating with your family or praying with your kids? Or is balance, work, home, just this kind of rinse, repeat, work, do it again, day in and day out? 
Second question, do you have a general sense of malaise, a, a, a I-just-don't-care kind of attitude towards those who are around you? Are you lacking in enthusiasm with the gift of life? Can you not go, wow, when you see the sunrise? Is it just same old day in, day out? Are you stuck and can't get started or can't finish or can't persevere in some hardship? Are you easily distracted or diverted? Do people, including family, frustrate you more than they used to? Then you might be struggling with the character of sloth, acedia. Might have a wound of confusion that we need healing from. See, in our culture, we have all kinds of pictures of sloth. Sloth was never, though, about being a couch potato. It's a much deeper issue for your soul. Extreme? Maybe for our years, but not for the saints of all who, old who saw this lack of concern for a, a love of neighbor or for growth in the faith as one of the deep killers of our faith. It's really what sloth is. A refusal to see that you are a child of God and so and see that in somebody else and then do something with it. It creates confusion. It creates lockdown, a decision fatigue, and it keeps you settled in as a pew sitter rather than a follower of Jesus. It divorces the teachings of Jesus with the methods of Jesus and expects things to just be honky-dory, when in reality, most of us are just really frustrated and can't seem to be the Christian that deep down we know and want to be. Sloth isn't lazy. It's a spiritual disorder that invites us to dismiss growing in our relationship with God. Uh, Joy and I will celebrate this May 21 years of marriage. And she and I have the, the joy and the privilege of walking with couples as they come to First Church for their premarital counseling. And one of the things that we both say to every couple that we meet with and we talk with is keep dating. Don't stop. Keep intentionally being with one another. Keep talking with one another. Keep uh, being together. We date every week. Yes, Ollie is with us most of the time. But it's a date. We try and spend time talking and dreaming and sharing. Why wouldn't we want the same kind of thing with the God who calls you his kid? If I wake up on a Sunday morning and I say, hey, Joy, I love you, or we just leave that date to that one hour a week, what's the rest of my time with Joy going to look like? It's going to starve. It's going to lead to some, well, some laziness. In our relationship. As we seek this healing from the confusion and the ongoing behavior of sloth, we can find two practices that we can take to prime the pump, so to speak, to help us with this breakthrough. The first practice is to take up this ancient word called diligence. And no, diligence is not the American ethic of work until you drop. Nay, nay. It's actually the other side of sloth, same coin, just flipped. We're not looking for workaholism here. That's a, a malaise that we don't need. We might even call that an idolatry that we certainly don't need. Diligence is this dedication. It's a, taking a conscientious approach to growing. It's a daily dying and a daily rising. I had uh, the joy, the joy of, uh, of reconnecting with one of my students from Fort Lauderdale this last week. She's one of those kids that I said, uh, she's the, the daughter that we will never have. She's, she's our kid. 
And she called me and she's at LSU, which is probably part of the problem. (laughs) She's working on her doctoral program and she said, Jim, I feel lost. I don't know what to do. I don't even know how to pray. And I know that Lent's tried. God's wanting to draw me back and I don't know where to begin. So I gave her a couple of tools and I said, I want you to be diligent every day to do this and this. You're going to hate it at times. You're going to think it's boring at times, but I want you to be diligent. Why? Because actually the word diligence means to love. Devote yourself to a daily love. My friend Keith, every morning, wakes up, goes into the shower, turns the water on, steps into the water and says, Keith, remember your baptism, remember who you are, and be thankful. That's owning it. That's going for it. That's living in to this idea of living love. Second discipline is is understanding, and understanding that mindfulness and choosing instead to pause, to remember who our dad is, and therefore saying, who are we? It's saying, okay, I can't do it all, but I can do the next right thing in love. Choosing to listen, to hear what's going on in that other person, in that situation, in our own hearts and minds. TJ's taught me an important thing is to be mindful and be aware of what's going on here and here and then the rest of my body. That's being diligent. That's knowing what it is to be loved. I would venture to guess that there are several of us gathered today that are struggling with a next step. We're circling, we're confused. And if you're out of balance, you already know it. I don't have to say it. If you're stuck, You already know it. If you're moving faster than your feet can take you, you already know it. So I want to invite you this morning to realize what that is. It's a trait of a wound that God wants to heal you from. That God wants to root you in your identity of being his daughter, his son, and that matters more than we could ever say, think, or imagine. And my prayer for you this week as we've explored this is I hope you're going to find somebody to talk with, to get it out, and I hope you'll find some time this week to go, wait a minute, diligence is being loved and loving in return. James told his church, if you're lacking in wisdom, if you're confused and stuck, ask. Ask God. He says, when troubles come, which means they're going to, considered an opportunity for joy, not a place to get stuck. You can only do this when you know who you are. You don't learn this identity by osmosis. You take time. You explore it. You dive in deep with it. Even if it means getting up every morning, hitting the shower and going, Jim, remember who you are. Remember your baptism and be thankful. Would you pray with me? Gracious, loving God, we thank you for your presence with us here this morning. We know that you're always here and we don't have to conjure or do any tricks or work ourselves in a lather to get to that place. You're here and we are thankful for that. 
We also know, Lord, that when we come into this place, uh, there's often a lot of things that are pulling us. There's a lot of confusion at work, keeping us from knowing that identity, knowing who we are in you. And so, Lord Jesus, I just ask this morning that, uh, that as your spirit is with us this morning, even as we prepare to leave this place, as we sing our closing hymn, as we hear a couple of announcements, as we watch a candle, a flame go down the aisle, that you will speak to our soul. Speak to those places of deep wounds, those places of confusion, those places where our identity in you has been marred and challenged and questioned. And show us the, the diligent work of your love. Lord, even when we struggle to believe it, especially when we struggle to believe it, remind us of who we are, to whom we belong. Gracious God, thank you for the breakthrough that is coming and the wholeness you want your children to live into. We love you, we honor you, and we give you thanks. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we offer this prayer. Amen. Closing.